You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. And we say good morning to that always smiling, effervescent personality of, what was your name again? Oh, Dr. History. Good morning, Zab. How you doing? I'm good. How are you? Good. Good. A little rough road out here to get out here little today. rough road. That's the worst. Highway 30 from my place back east has not been taken care of at all. It's pathetic. Got to go slow. Yeah, but <laughs> five miles an hour ain't going to get you far. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Are we ready? Well, I hope so. Okay. I, I, I kept quiet right. for a moment. Well, I, I'm not used to that. You said you did your homework. <laughs> I did. You said you wanted a local story, yeah. and I got one of the most, probably one of the most well-known, famous stories that happened in southern Idaho. Really? What is it? Diamond Phil Jack. Oh! Diamond Phil Jack. Interesting character. He was indeed. Yeah. So we'll start February 16th, 1896. Yeah. Two sheep men by the name of Cummings and Wilson were found dead in their wagons. Both had been shot. The conditions of the body of the men indicated they'd been dead for about, oh, 10 to 14 days. The position of the bodies and the blood that was found on the ground in front of the wagon indicated that both men had been shot with a forty-four caliber bullet. Now, that's going to come into play here. Oh, yes, it is. Apparently, both had been wounded. Cummings had assisted Wilson into the wagon and had thrown an overcoat over him. Yeah. Wilson was shot in the back, and one shot struck his chin and his chest. Now, Cummings had been shot through the intestines. Uh, The condition of Cummings and the nature of the wound showed that he had lived... Maybe one to 24 hours after the shooting. Mm-hmm. Now, Diamond Field Jack was so named because of his telling fellow cowboys of a huge diamond field he had seen, supposedly. Okay. Right. And thus, he was nicknamed Diamond Field Jack. Now, his real name was Jack Davis. And he was suspected of the crime, but he could not be found. Well, he was traced to Yuma, Arizona, where he was captured and returned to the Cassia County Jail at Albin. Yeah. Thus began one of the most famous trials in the state of Idaho. Now, Diamond Field Jack had an alibi. He was still placed on trial. He was tried and found guilty of first-degree murder and sentenced to hang. How did they, at that juncture, I'm going to interrupt you a couple of times okay. here because I've got questions. How did they, being the law and the general public, ascertain that he was the shooter? What were the clues that led them to him? I think because he'd been hired by the cattlemen. I see. And there was extreme tension between the cattlemen and the sheepmen. Right, up on deadline. Exactly. And let's just talk about that for a second. Out here uh, towards uh, Rock Creek, everything on the... East side was the cattlemen. No. No, the other way around. Yep. The east side was the sheepmen. The west side was the cattlemen. And they were supposed to observe that boundary. So, uh, but because of his reputation and working for the cattle people, I think the sheepmen said, yeah, he's the one that did it. Ah, so it was guilt by association. Yeah, yep. And as I said, at this time, hatred and tension was running high, and there was fear that the sheepmen would take the law into their own hands and lynch Davis. And on the other hand, the cattlemen were just as adamant that Diamond Phil's life be protected. Okay. So afraid were the officials that uh, Diamond Phil Jack might be lynched or rescued, either one, that at night they posted guards at roads leading into Albin, and crowds of men were not allowed to enter 
until daylight. Now, this is uh, kind of interesting, too, because the original building that supposedly was his jail cell is still there, right? No. No? No. I thought it was. No, they've used rocks to build a kind of a little monument out in the middle of that park. Oh, I thought the the one building as you go through town on the right-hand side upstairs was where he was housed. No, that's that's where the trial took place. Ah. That was the, where the trial. So you're right I there. I see. Yes. Uh, so anyway, he became pretty popular with the children of the town. Uh, boys were always uh, talking to him through the window, and they brought their damaged baseballs to him. And with the ability of a professional, he would sew covers on their baseballs. Uh, when anyone's shoes became worn, they'd bring them over to him, and, and he would uh, fix their shoes. How long was he incarcerated up there? Uh, I'm thinking it was about four years off and he, on. he was four years up there. I, I, I believe it, it goes through that. And actually, my grandmother actually remember seeing him in jail up there in Albin and said he was quite a good-looking... Okay, now, wait a minute. Why didn't they move him, if he was up for murder charges, to the Boise State Penitentiary? I just assume that it's because uh, the county seat was Albin, and so that's where everything took place. Okay, pardon me. I'm so sorry. I, I'm not really not sure. Okay. But like I say, he got to be pretty popular with the people, so the sheep men came in and put up a 10-foot board fence around the jail. Oh, boy. So he could no longer talk to the boys through the window. Well, he was sentenced to be hanged several times, but each time his attorneys appealed his case to a higher court and the sentence would be suspended. And several times on the day he was sentenced to be hung, a reprieve would come from the Board of Pardons just in time to prevent him from being hung. Oh, boy. Now, uh, this to me is kind of one of the exciting parts of this story. One of the most famous rides was that of Willis Sears and Charlie Crist. And I think you're familiar with the Sears family. Yep. So these two men were sent to the sheriff uh, by the sheriff to Minidoka County in case Jack was given a stay of execution. Now, I'm going to uh, repeat the words of Willis Sears. Here's what he said. Charlie and I took three saddle horses apiece and went to Minidoka the day before, leaving two horses at the Woods Ranch, two at the river crossing at Stars Ferry, and rode the other two onto Minidoka and stayed there. The next morning, I came down to the ferry so as to have the boat on the north side of the river, and Charlie was to wait for the message and bring it down with him. The message was received about 11 o'clock in the morning. Charlie was ready for it and rode as fast as possible to the ferry. We crossed to the south side where the horses were ready, and we soon started on the second lap and rode to the next stop, where we made the final trip up the canyon. The total time was a little more than two hours for the 30-mile ride. Mm-hmm. Although the sheriff could have hung Jack that morning at sunrise, he was hoping that the Board of Pardons would stay his execution, which they did. And But due to the extreme tension that existed between the cattlemen and the sheepmen, the sheriff was just afraid that these guys might be attacked by the sheepmen and killed, uh, bringing that stay of execution. Yeah. So Now, here's the strange thing. In November of 1900... Jeff Gray and J.E. Bowers confessed that they had murdered the sheep herders. Oh, no, wait a minute. This is where the plot really thickens. It does. Where did these guys come from, and who were they, really? Okay, these were these guys were working for the cattle companies. Ah. Okay, and again... And it took four years to get this out? It did, yeah. But they said, here's what they said. They said they had ridden up to the sheep camp, and that Bauer was talking to Wilson and Cummings. They got into a heated argument, and the sheep herders knocked Bauer over the double trees of the wagon and would have killed him had not Gray killed them first. Okay, now, there's a bunch of questions here. What prompted these two guys to come out and give this information, I wonder? 
You know, I, well, let, let me continue because th- there's some evidence that comes out okay. that may implicate I'm them. I'm sorry. Uh, and this may be why. I'll why, tell you what, now's a good time for the commercial. Yes. Okay, and then you can tell me. Okay. Uh, I want to say thank you again to our wonderful friends at Minicasha Sales, old Zach Attack. He's going to be on the air with us on uh, Thursday, as a matter of fact. I'm going to have him on the air. Minicasha Sales, 1321 East Main Street in Burley, right across from the airport. Upgrade your windows. Woohoo! Gold inside. Well, it won't be. You'll keep the cold air outside with western windows you better believe it and all your carpeting and your vinyl and of course the best of tartar farm and ranch gates and panels oh they're good all of this and more what an inventory of great things to help you at minicasha sales 1321 east main street in burley number to call 878-2091 they're open 8 to 4 30 monday through friday and now back to the continuing saga of why why did Diamond Field Jack linger in the jail at Albion. Okay. So, like I say, they told the story of what happened, but the sheepmen of the county took this kind of with a grain of salt and came to the conclusion that this was just a hoax to save Davis. Well, they went on making preparations to hang Diamond Field Jack. Yeah. So, uh, however, it is generally believed today that Bauer and Gray did kill the sheep herders because here's the evidence, Zeb. There was a corn cob pipe which was found under the front wheel of Wilson and Cummings sheep camp. This was identified as belonging to Bauer. Ah. So after the So he had to be there. Yeah, yeah. So after the trials and appeals, Diamondfield Jack was then rem- actually did go to the state penitentiary uh, in Boise for another 18 months. Why? Again, that's a good question because if he had- was exonerated, why did he have to serve more time? Well, uh, that's a good question because he was still being punished for a crime he did not commit. And Boy, anyway, he had a good lawyer, didn't he? <laughs> he did. Well, the board consequently granted Jack Davis an unconditional pardon and restoration to citizenship in 1902. Now, this is where you usually say, okay, what happened after this? I know what happened after this. <laughs> okay, we're going to continue on. All right. Well, I'm just going to show you this book, which you have. Yeah, I do. This was Thank given you. to us by Bert Stevenson. Yep, yep. It's Diamond Field by Max Black and is the most uh, interesting, detail-oriented story of Diamond Field. Absolutely is. And in here, he, he, uh, they explain that they tried to uh, have a horse run from where Diamond Field was seen to where the scene of the crime took place, and it could not have happened. So they proved pretty inconclusively that he could not have shot the sheep herders. And thus it also spawned a very historic and famous ride that occurred for many, many years here in uh, the Magic Valley all the way to Jackpot, and that was the Diamond Field Jack Ride, okay. horseback ride, and it was furthered by a former real good friend of mine uh, passed away, and I really enjoyed this gentleman, Bob Harney from Twin Falls. He was really yeah. instrumental in g- keeping that ride alive. Yeah. Well, so let, we'll continue with his story, which is equally fascinating. So in 19, uh, 1902, Diamondfield quietly said goodbye to his loyal friends and left the area. Uh, Can you blame him? <laughs> no. I mean, it's interesting that on leaving, he thanked Willis Sears, one of the two marathon horseback riders who made that famous 25-mile ride from Minidoka to Albin with a reprieve from the Board of Pardons that saved Jack from being hanged. So, but it is reported by the daughter of Sears, Mrs. Clayton Bryan of Burley, that Jack, in an attempt to show his appreciation, gave her father one of his two guns. Uh, 
And this was made with a remark by Jack. He said, he said, here, take it. I shall never pack a gun again. Well, that didn't happen. Yeah, that's not true. <laughs> he continued, but yeah. uh, he, yeah, he, he forgot that resolve. But Okay, so now starts kind of another strange link in the life of this man. Now, he was overrated as a gunslinger, uh, uh, but he had a reputation. And events proved that he had other talents that were real. He wanted to get to Nevada, where a booming mine uh, operation was then on, and near the action was his good friend, John Sparks, who was the governor of the state. Yep. Now, he'll kind of come into play quite a bit during Diamond Field's life. But, uh, so he was off to new adventures and he, uh, to a recent opened uh, mining area in Tonopah. Now, if you've been to Tonopah, Zeb... <laughs> I have. I spent two weeks there one night. <laughs> it was. It is desolate. Oh, yeah. Uh, anyway, so it must it's, have been... It's not going to be on a uh, realtor's highlight reel. No, no, it's not. But it must have been beginner's luck because, uh, luck because uh, many had already failed in their quest, but Jack, in his first attempt, struck it rich. Uh. Now, this event took place in the spring of 1903 when Jack Davis, uh, prospecting in the hills near Goldfield, came upon a rich ledge of ore. Well, word soon spread about the town, uh, uh, about the strike, and as usual, a boom started in the vicinity uh, district, and a town sprang up, uh, and they actually called it Diamond Field in honor of him, this little uh, boom town. And the growth was spectacular. By the end of 1904, it was a really a rip-roaring mining camp. Uh, everything going on there that you'd expect in any kind of a, a mining find. So, But in an amazing short time, Jackson Lee Davis Diamondfield had risen from a man almost penniless to an individual worth uh, a lot of money and right. influence. Right. Uh, his gunslinging named, earned or not, really had uh, actually followed him to Nevada. So he was respected as a... Kind of a dangerous character, too. One despite, that you don't want to miss. With. Right. And he enjoyed bragging about his yeah. his uh, uh, prowess with a six-gun. But uh, what a change in the life of this man uh, who was confined in a death cell in Albion, Idaho, for so long on a double murder charge. And two years after his release, we find him wealthy, respected, a welcome visitor in the office of the Nevada governor. Mm -hmm. How so, old was he at this point? Um, he was still in his 40s, wasn't he? I think he? he was still, yeah, fairly fairly young yeah. guy still. Yeah. But um, anyway, in 1906 and 1907, labor trouble broke out in the mines around Goldfield. Now, between the workers and the mine owners. So there was kind of like a strike that was going on. The, the miners, of course, wanted more money. Right. And the owners did not want to give them more money. Well, Governor Sparks was in trouble. Uh, bloodshed had already started, uh, making it necessary for him to ask for federal troops. Uh, but Jack kind of took it upon himself and felt like uh, he needed more backing than just the U.S. Army. Uh, so he felt he was the one to step in and help the U.S. Army on this deal. So anyway, one incident reported in a Goldfield newspaper at the time tells of an incident that happened during the height of this labor dispute. Uh, the trouble started when a crowd gathered in front of Davis's office, his mining office. Uh, and following Jack's uh, public support of the governor, the temper of this mob got worse and worse. Somebody threw a rock through the window of the building. Well, Mr. Davis, it says in the paper, became livid with rage, grabbing two six-shooters. He came rushing out of the office with both guns blazing. Now, here's about 200 men standing outside with guns and clubs and whatever. He steps outside his office. 
with these two guns, and this crowd took off running. Uh, they never accused him in any literature that I've ever read about Diamond Field Jack of being the smartest guy in the world. <laughs> well, his reputation, I guess these guys said, you know, okay, yeah. we're out of here. Yeah. Well, uh, the gold boom. Did he shoot anybody? You know, I don't believe he actually did. I, I'd have to go back to Max's book, and okay. I, I don't think that he did, but I'm not sure. But anyway, the gold boom in this part of Nevada kind of busted, and uh, his own mind had deteriorated. Uh, the fortune that he'd built up, and we're talking millions of dollars yeah. back in the early 1900s. Uh, his real estate operations were being uh, dissipated. Uh, well, about this time, he decided to head south into Mexico and Arizona, mm-hmm. Texas. He even went up into Montana. Uh, in, in fact, when he was up in Montana, he was at a bar, and... Uh, a guy from this uh, um, from the labor union right. approached him, and they got into an argument. And Jack actually got shot through the cheek. Really? And it took out a couple of his teeth. Well, can you imagine? <laughs> so, and another time, I know uh, he got shot. I think in the leg. So, you know, his, his reputation followed him. And his bit. nickname was Lucky. Lucky, Lucky Diamondfield. <laughs> Well, eventually he uh, uh, came back to the United States, and he kind of dropped out of sight. And uh, it seems there's not... A- so he lost his fortune. Yeah, right? yeah, he yeah. lost everything. Uh, so there's no question that uh, he ended up still back in Nevada in the 1920s. Right. The fortune he'd made in mining was either squandered or lost in bad investments. And it's known that as an old man in his 80s now, he lowered himself to survive by becoming a shill in uh, one of the gambling establishments in Las Vegas. Really? Which, a shill, of course, is somebody who sits there and gambles with the, with the uh, money from the, from the gambling right. establishment. Right. Right. So, but here we are, December 1948, Jack Davis, while attempting to cross the street in one of the busy intersections of Las Vegas, was hit by a taxi cab. The man, who had escaped hanging in Idaho for at least two times, had been shot at, along with later threats of assassination, died with his boots on. Diamondfield perished from complications following this accident in Las Vegas, January 2nd, 1949. Friends actually had to take up a collection and buried this colorful guy. Where was he buried? Um, I don't think they buried him in Las Vegas, did they? Uh, for know, some reason, I thought they took him to another location. You know, I'm, I'm not sure about that. Uh, I would have to look back in this yeah, book. I'll have to go back through that, too, because I honestly don't think he's buried in Vegas. I, yeah, I'm not sure. Okay. Now, I'm, I'm going to show you uh, somebody that w- was in his life a little bit. Yeah. Oh, that was... Um, Diamond Tooth Lil. Diamond Tooth Lil. And she, she looks kind of like uh, my grandma. She, now, she is a very nice... Matronly. Old, matronly looking. Matronly. Very nice yes. looking lady uh, who... Uh, um, yeah. why, did, her, why did she get the name Diamond Tooth? Did she have something bright and shiny in the did. front there? She did. She uh, had a uh, diamond and uh, what else? Uh, hmm. I think it was just a diamond she had put in that tooth. Really? Um, yeah. What did she do for a living? She was an entertainer. I see. <laughs> You're avoiding my question, but that's okay. <laughs> and she actually was at uh, some time. She was actually up in uh, Silver City up here in Idaho. Up oh, in, a traveling girl. Uh, traveling, yes, to see the world. Um, I love to see your face turn red. <laughs> <laughs> but she, she was up in uh, Virginia City, Nevada I'll be City. Darn. Can up, you imagine? And But her... Uh, the plan was she was supposed to meet up with Diamondfield in Las Vegas. I see. And I think it was just more of like a friendship type thing. They'd known each other That's off and on. That's what they all say. That's what they all say. But 
in fact, uh, says that uh, uh, they did have a lot to talk about uh, <laughs> regarding their lives. But uh, now, was she at the funeral? You know, that's a good question too, and I I don't know who got the estate. Of the was there anything left? There was nothing left. Nothing left. No. So, wow. like I say, friends had to take up a donation to bury the. So guy. he died so, a pauper. Then. So that makes me think that maybe he was buried in Vegas. Yeah, it could somewhere. Be. Yeah. To, as cheaply as they possibly could. But this hmm. book, um, this Max Black, and, and you've, you've read the book. Yep, got it right over there. Uh, he's the one that did the research and found the actual uh, uh, bullet uh, here, what, 100 years later or really? whatever. Uh, he went up and found the, the, one of the bullets that had hit a saddle, uh, and he actually thinks he found the gun that those guys used that was thrown away and discovered, found, and ended up in Boise. There is so much to this story, and I'm not trying to disavow anything of that book by any means. But really, you got to admit, it's kind of like the Billy the Kid theory. You don't really know. You know and, what and I see, mean? And there's some that theorize that he was killed in Mexico. Yeah. Well, it's kind of like the Sundance Kid and uh, Butch Cassidy. Yeah. You know, Bolivia or not Bolivia. Right. And many, many reports, of which I've got a book on that, that uh, one of the sisters said that years, years later, she had coffee and breakfast with Butch Cassidy yeah. in New York City. Well, and there's a couple of other longtime friends that say that they saw him as well. Yeah. You did it again, Dr. History. You piqued our interest. Diamond Field, what a fascinating story. Thank you. Get this book by Max Black. It's a good book. Diamond Field. Very good book. Well, now you can look forward to a very nice, smooth ride back to Burley on (laughs) Highway 30. Yeah, very slow. Uh, Dr. History brought to you by Minicasha Sales, 1321 East Main Street in Burley, right across from the airport. Zach and the whole crew with everything you need, from gates and panels to shingles to lumber to windows. It's all there with Minicasha Sales. Stop in and see them today, and we say thank you to them for sponsoring Dr. History. Uh, What about next week? Oh, I don't know. I don't. I ask you that. Every I know week. every time, and I always say I don't know. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. I've got to do some Christmas spots, and uh, you see yourself out of the house. And uh, next week, the door will be open. Ruby will be locked up, and you can come back and tell Great. us another story. You have a good day, Zeb. God bless you, Doctor History, right here on Zeb at the Ranch. Good, good guy. Protect your dream home with American Family Insurance, and you can weather any storm. You'll also save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote. Find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. Buenos Dias World from the San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance. I'm Marco Wint. And I'm Rick Schwartz. And we're your hosts for Season 3 of Amazing Wildlife, a show from iHeartRadio Ruby Studio and the global conservation organization behind the San Diego Zoo and the San Diego Zoo Safari Park. Listen as we dive into the efforts here in San Diego and spotlight the heroes working worldwide to care for the species you know and love. Listen to Amazing Wildlife on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.